welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that knows probably about a quarter of the drugs that have been mentioned so far in this essay collection. I think my comprehension, Amanda, is about 30%, maybe 25%. Yeah, I would say mine is too, and some of the uh, language to describe getting high i'm like i've never heard this before (laughs) (laughs) well this is what happens with language is a lot of the terms used so far in this collection which were taken from mostly 19 the 1960s have become slang jokes (laughs) it it would be terms you would say only in a mocking way so it it's very strange to encounter language used with sincerity that would never be used with sincerity today ever (laughs) no one's gonna say far out or groovy today in a very sincere manner that's how slang goes that is just the way of slang. <laughs> True. <laughs> and even the even the medicinal names that they're throwing around, in the, at least in the main kind of longest essay in this collection, didn't didn't know most of those medical names. I, I'm very. I mean, I know that in current America, different versions of meth are the most serious epidemic. Mm-hmm. But other, I couldn't tell you why, or I really couldn't tell you the science of why. I just know that that's the shorthand. Yep. So, anyway, if you have no idea why we're talking about drug names, you're probably very confused. That is because you have found a book club episode. This is a book club analysis episode about the essay collection called Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan Didion. This is a book club episode, as I mentioned, so you're with us on the Lightly Literary Podcast on an episode where we'll be discussing and spoiling the first half of that book. Um, If you've never listened before, welcome. This is not a bad place to start. Um, We have social media accounts. If you don't follow them, they're on Instagram and Facebook. They are both at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word. So find us and follow us on those places to keep up with what we're reading, what we're covering. We also kindly request, as always, if you could rate and recommend us on any podcast platform, that helps us a ton. So like Apple, Spotify, things like that, if you found us there. Yeah, give us a you know, five-star rating, hopefully. We think we're worth it. Um, Book club episodes, as I already mentioned, uh, we will be spoiling. They involve spoilers and analysis, so we'll be picking through some of the essays in the first half. Specifically, this book is split into three parts, but the first part covers more than half the book, so that's what we'll be discussing. It's called Lifestyles in the Golden Land, so it's part one of the essays. The first one is called Some Dreamers of the Golden Dream, and the final one is called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. So those are the ones that we'll be discussing and spoiling. If you don't mind spoilers, we'll be discussing those and summarizing them doing some analysis and chat about them so if you want to listen anyway that's fine if you want to pause this and come back after you've read that's also fine there's a book recommendation too in the feed if you want to go check that out so that's what our discussion today will be about um amanda any broad thoughts before we jump in Uh, i'm ready this is i'm I'm ready especially after the last um last couple of readings (laughs) collection yeah no for sure <laughs> something to sink our teeth into as the expression goes yeah. i suppose i should set up why i picked it huh yeah on the first episode right yeah i haven't lost the plot here after 25 books or 30 books or whatever <laughs> yeah i guess i will because i did choose this one this had been recommended i think this was like an instagram account i follow they covered it she also passed i think last year or two years ago so there were a lot of just book book people posts about her influence and her writing and i think i just got caught up in that saw the title saw the name realized i'd never read her before and at some point just picked up a copy of this book thought i'd check it out one day and chose it for this i I didn't really know anything about her reputation for example i didn't know that most of this book at least part one would be basically documenting life in the 60s 
kind of like culture, social life, the younger generations, what they're doing, how they're living. Obviously, that that involves a lot of like hippie living and hippie lifestyles, the political movements of the time. And I just didn't even know that would be the focus. I, I thought she got more associated with Hollywood. And there's a little bit of Hollywood in this. It's a lot of California stuff, too. But it's been a little bit broader in scope than I realized. So, yeah, I picked it up kind of on a casual recommendation. I'm not sure if you've encountered her work before. I haven't. I feel like I, I know that I've heard the name before because when you mentioned that we were going to do this book, I was like, why do I know that name? Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't actually read anything by her. I think that she was recommended to me by one of my cousins before. Um, who, gotcha. Who, who okay. enjoys um, nonfiction work. So. Yeah. Cool. I think that's where I heard her. Well, (laughs) hopefully your cousin is listening right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now being in the future months from now when this episode gets posted, of course. Naturally. (laughs) Yeah. Time travelers here. Time travelers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's what we picked. And let's dive in. Let's not wait. We're not really going to go in order, but we'll just definitely announce the titles before we dive into the essays. I I figured... We kind of had to pick Slouching Towards Bethlehem, right? That's what I chose first, I guess. I'll I'll do a summary of it. But it's by far the longest essay in the collection. Like, not even close. Quadruple the length of most of the others. I figured you would choose that one, which is why I didn't choose it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and it's the titular one. So if it's the longest and it's the title, I'm, yeah, clearly going to pick it. So we kind of have to start here. Uh, It's kind of unfocused, maybe utterly so, but it is intriguing. It is a bit of reporting that she did in the 1960s, specifically, I think, just 67, in San Francisco. So she's trying to kind of chronicle the youth movements and really just the hippie movement of the time. She's interested in a great many people in the piece. So here's just a taste of a few. We've got Sharon and Max, who are a couple who just truly love doing acid and spend most of the time she's with them either thinking about or talking about how and when to do acid. (laughs) Uh, Officer Garens shows up and kind of the police are an ominous, nefarious force throughout. He's a man hell-bent on arresting as many of the troubled youths as he possibly can. He only shows up briefly, but he's in there. There's also Deadeye and and Jerry or Gary? What's the common... I pronounce it in my mind as Jerry. Jerry, okay. Jerry, a lost couple, kind of an aimless couple, but happy, content. They are planning to get married, but they're unsure of what to do after. They're really unsure of, you know, how they're going to live for now. They're just kind of contentedly together. So just those are just a couple of the figures. There's others. Um, She follows these people around, profiles their quiet, uh, sort of uneventful lives, kind of eats meals with them, goes to the parks with them, listens to their dreams, you know, hears their thoughts about the political movements and how to live and what... uh, countries that they should you know go off and live in and spiritually connect to and i don't know just kind of takes in their their worldview other than that it's kind of difficult to summarize this essay there's not like a climactic moment she doesn't follow one story to any kind of conclusion and does not build tension in a traditional narrative way so it is sort of like vignettes or check-ins of these various people hippies in san francisco in the 60s so it is i think a pretty interesting portrayal of life in that way but yeah i I don't know did i miss something at the end that felt like a climax to you no not at all (laughs) there's the like almost race riot where the people are doing a blackface play in public and kind of heckling they're like almost trying to antagonize as part of a bit of live theater it's it's said (laughs) but that also didn't really result in anything so i was like maybe that was a climax but not really i don't know yeah that was just a weird aside i felt like because i was just like oh my god what's what's happening here why are they trying to antagonize these people yeah (laughs) yeah 
I thought that it was supposed to be about a peaceful movement. Yeah, let's dive into some of the characters, then I'll start since I chose this. There's a businessman on 104 named Chet Helms, who he is kind of a hippie, is a free spirit, but he also owns like some kind of music venue or something. He's clearly, you know, being a little more pragmatic about things than than perhaps others. And this is a quote from him on 104 she gives. There are only three significant pieces of data in the world today, is another thing that Chet Helms told me one night. We were at the Avalon and the big strobe was going and the colored lights and the day glow painting and the place was full of high school kids trying to look turned on. The first is, he said, God died last year and was obitted by the press. The second is, 50% of the population is or will be under 25. A boy shook a tambourine towards us and Chet smiled benevolently at him. The third, he said, is that they got 20 billion irresponsible dollars to spend. And then she just cuts off his section and moves on to talking about... Max and Tom and Sharon, but a couple's doing acid. <laughs> so she just kind of leaves that as it is. I don't know. As reporting, it is it's objectively interesting. I think she has an eye for knowing what to include and when to leave something dangling, which she tends to do a lot. Uh, she kind of lets people talk for themselves and doesn't interpret them too much, though, you know, she interjects at times. But I think the the kind of confusion of that quote, and I'm sure, you know, reading this what, 50 years in the future? It's sort of like you can kind of piece together what he means, but also not really. It does feel like code, uh, code that we lost the translation for. It, I just thought that quote was kind of emblematic of the whole piece where it's it's like tantalizing and kind of strange. You get a sense of his worldview, but you can't really piece it together. It feels kind of distant, and I'm not really sure what those criticisms are about. Um, and I just thought he was interesting too because he is a hippie and those quotes seem to indicate a similar philosophy, but also he's again, more practical than some of the others. Especially the, the final data point that he mentions, which is that the money that those, uh, youths of the day will have. <laughs> yeah. So right. Definitely right. A, a, a stark contrast to the others that the others in the hippie movement, um, that we see in, in her essay, for sure, which I found him interesting too. I was like, okay, so she she tries to, I think, in this essay, portray several sides of the movement um, through conversations uh, with different people who have different perspectives, but I feel like Chet is the only one who mm-hmm. comes at it from a, a much more like financial situation because she tries to talk to the police officers, right? But they don't really they like block her right they they yeah they seem skittish yeah they don't want to talk too much they're skittish and also she can't be seen with them either because then it'll cut off communication with others within the movement because they'll think that she's a narc oh yeah right um (laughs) (laughs) sincere narc sincere yeah (laughs) so yeah, but I, I found all the different perspectives and I, I, really interesting, and I do enjoy the way that she allows them to have their own voice, and she does not... The way that she would interject her own ideas isn't through explaining their dialogue. It's actually through observations about their behaviors or their surroundings itself, which can color yeah. the, the, uh, the dialogue yeah. in, in their own way, which I find great. You can imagine a profile of some of the couples that could be really scathing at their sort of ineptitude and stagnation, or you could imagine a really sympathetic and compassionate and gentle version of, like, these people who are 
quite innocent just trying to piece things together like i but she doesn't really do either you know it's like she can hint at both but doesn't really go for either direction she's she's pretty subtle about things and yeah that guy kind of taking stock of the land or taking an evaluation of the landscape the social landscape and just you know benevolently smiling making his money is yeah i felt like a smart interjection in the middle Mm-hmm. Anything you picked up on you want to discuss? Yeah. Uh, well, mine is uh, the conclusion itself, actually. Okay. Yeah, she briefly on 113, this isn't a dominant theme in the essay, but that's kind of why I wanted to pluck it. Um, there's not a lot of gender observation in this one. There's some commentary occasionally about the job certain people have, but that's it's, there's not really any issues implied in that. There is, though, on 113, a discussion of kind of feminism in a roundabout kind of way. She calls it feminine mystique, which may just be a term that's been either I don't know or is just outdated or something. Um, it's also a book, isn't it? Could it could be, yeah. It could be an entire like philosophy or, or theory that I just have forgotten the, the meaning of. But yeah, on this page, she's talking to Barbara and saying, Barbara says, doing something that shows your love that way, she says, like cooking or baking, um, is just about the most beautiful thing I know. And Didion interjects, whenever I hear about the woman's trip, which is often, I think, a lot about nothing says leaven, like something from the oven, and the feminine mystique and how it is possible for people to be the unconscious instruments of values, they would strenuously reject you on a conscious level. But I do not mention this to Barbara. And she also, before that, I believe, summarizes her life as Barbara will take a part-time job modeling or teaching kindergarten, but she dislikes earning more than 10 or $20 a week. Most of the time, she keeps house and bakes. So you've got this person who will, you know, kind of acknowledges the necessity of labor, but also, you know, rejects it in a way for enable, in favor of, like, domestic labor, still labor, um, and just kind of rejects the, the work salary-based kind. And Didion, yeah, it's... She wants the reader to, it's she's she's like this I think a lot of the time in her tone. She wants the reader to be aware that she's thoughtful and thinking through things but does not want to press to a thesis basically and just sort of it also I think that way she phrases it at the end is smart too where it's like I didn't say it to bar she wants us to know her kind of journalistic approach in the moment her more indirect passive almost approach to kind of living among these people and i think again that's smart journalism i don't know if i'd even call her a journalist fully but she's clearly trying to embed and understand right so i think that's a a critical thing that she pulls off pretty well and overall i would also just say that yeah her her voice she the fact that that's in there i don't know did that strike you as insightful does that tell you a lot about didion how did you come away from that quote her analysis there yeah yeah, that um, that final sentence in that that paragraph, I was just like, yeah, I, I agree with Didion because at that time too was like the beginnings, or I'm not sure if it's the beginnings, but definitely there was the feminist movement was you know definitely getting some steam at the same time, mm-hmm. and so her, so Didion's ideas that kind of like question the ideals that Barbara seems to to really cling to there. I was like, yeah, that yeah. That totally makes sense to me, and um, I think that's a valid observation, but I, I, I appreciated that she did not... It shows what kind of reporting she does where she doesn't actually voice her own opinions to Barbara or try to start an argument or a debate with Barbara, but is just there to observe. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really telling trait of hers and allows for more... Um, I guess, honest mm-hmm. um, reporting so that she's not flavoring the 
um, her observations of the the movement too much with her own insights. Although, of course, there's always going to be a little bit of that. But she's trying to keep it as true to what what is actually happening as possible. And I, and I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. She, I think if she has criticisms to leverage and I think maybe she does about some of the people on acid, just how they're kind of their lifestyle, not that it's wasting time. Cause I don't think she would agree with that framing, but the kind of the tension it creates, the way it, it affects their social dynamics. She just, the way she often captures their, because when she quotes them, she'll add things like not not adverbs like snarkily or tensely, but she does kind of observe their mood and wants to make it clear that like these people are not super relaxed all the time. That they, you know, they, while they're not yeah. fighting, they're the stress. Yeah, there's some kind of yeah. need dependency stress that these that the drugs kind of introduce. So I think she's just more interested in subtle little observations like that. Otherwise, you're you're kind of just embedded in this neighborhood, you know, for. 40 pages and just jumping back and forth between the various players in a play or something. Yeah. And, and like surrounded by kind of like this nebulous energy of people where some people are really mistrusting and it's almost like a a spy novel Mm -hmm. where like you have to set up like these secret meetings and stuff. And then others are like, no, come on in. You, do you want some acid? Do you want some hash? (laughs) Do you want some, some weed? What would you like? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, It's yeah. It's so funny. Um, the, this whole, like the way that there's just so many people who have different approaches to, uh, to welcoming a newcomer and and especially a reporter, somebody who she's like attacked several, not physically attacked, but she's like attacked on on a level of like, oh, you're part of the media, you're part of the devil, you're part of the right, problem. Right. Immediately, I don't trust you. Yeah. So yeah, I, I find that really interesting too. But she still gets information. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the conclusion? Yeah. So let's do the conclusion. So the conclusion, I think it's funny, you, you pointed out that, you know, her observations are, are a little bit more subtle, but I find, actually, I think that the conclusion to this shows that maybe she doesn't quite, um, so n- not 100% support some of the choices that uh, the people are making, especially, like, because of the neglect mm-hmm. right, <laughs> that right. happens and occurs because of that. Um Especially for the kids. I mean, did you saw like you read the part where they were like giving a five year old acid? I was like, what? yeah, the si- the science oh, was not in. I think <laughs> not the yeah. I think it's pretty clear that I mean, you jump back, click the timer back, the the watch clock calendar back a hundred years, and I'm sure they were giving much stranger things to kids. But yes, there's no doubt it's like pretty wild that they, I mean, especially to know as an adult that you've taken it, you've probably had some bad trips and some good ones, and obviously these people really value the the effect drugs have on them. But it's like, why can't you just do the simple math of like, well, if it has that effect on me, what would it do to like a person who has, you know, a fifth of my body's development or what it's just it's like well it's just i don't know why those questions didn't come up but um science wasn't in man crazy uh yeah and then right after it's revealed that they were you know there was a a five-year-old who was like tripping um then we go to sue ann's three-year-old michael who started a fire because everybody was like 
either not paying attention because they were high or they were um, talking and like ignoring him and Sue Ann was like cooking so she wasn't paying attention like this three year old right. is just like running around <laughs> in this drug house mm-hmm. <laughs> with a bunch of like adults not paying attention to him and he sets a fire and hurts himself mm-hmm. and he burned his arm and then like that's the end that's the end of the the very last sentence is they didn't notice Sue Ann screaming at Michael because they were in the kitchen trying to retrieve some very good Moroccan hash which had dropped down through a floorboard damaged in the fire they're more concerned with the drugs than with the the people who have who could possibly have been hurt in the fire um so that ending to me, like those two, like back to back, this is the, what they're doing to a five-year-old. And then this is what this three-year-old kid is doing. And the, the adults reactions to both situations. It's like, I, I felt like she was kind of like, she ended that, that way to it very purposefully. And perhaps that's just me reading into it because like as a, as an educator and as a mom, you know, <laughs> and uh, but I was just like, I, I feel like there was a, definitely a negative tinge to that mm-hmm. ending that she purposefully. Oh, definitely. And she loves structure more than she loves to comment with structure more than sentence, you know, I guess like essay structure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, having that be it's a pretty scathing final example. And as you already noted, the quote about the emphasis on finding drugs versus personal safety is. Yeah, and I there just wasn't the same talk, I don't think, at the time. I don't have the kind of history background to back this fully, but it, drugs just weren't quite as discussed in the medicinal senses or in the medical neurologic. Like, I think today when we talk about people who do drugs, like, the first things we talk about aren't quite cultural or like, oh, that affects the music you like or the pe- – like, it's more just like, oh, it does stuff to your brain. What does it do to your brain? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just don't think the conversation was quite the same back then. I mean, that's what Dare did to us. You know, they, they readied us for the kind of scientific mm. aspects of drugs <laughs> instead of the kind of cultural, social, communal aspects to them or something. Oh, this is the second podcast where we've talked about Dare. <laughs> this is, a, yes, there we're finally at this point, our propaganda machine is kicking in. <laughs> our secret funding has come through. We can now announce our first sponsor of the pod, a defunct, or actually they're not defunct. I had somebody, this was pre-COVID, but I had somebody at a grocery store once try and get me to like fund them. And I just respectfully said, like, oh, yeah, I remember, but, you know, it's the classic deflection of, like, I'll check the website, you know? Like, I'm definitely not going to give you my credit card number at this fold-up table, but I'll check the website. Yeah, Yeah, classic. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to the next essay, though. Again, we're not going in order of the collection, but which one did you pick to start? Um, I started with Some Dreamers of the Golden Dream, Mm -hmm. which was the first Mm -hmm. one, actually, the first essay. Um, This essay begins with a description of the San Bernardino Valley, especially uh, Banyan Street, which is where Lucille Mm. Miller supposedly murdered her husband by sedating him and then setting fire to their car with his uh, his sleeping inside of it. 
Didion gives the readers some background information on the Millers before getting into the possible motivations for the murder and the evidence that led to her guilty conviction. The essay ends with Lucille Miller in a women's jail giving birth to a daughter whom her older daughter, Deborah, takes home to raise while um, Lucille's lover, Arthwell, marries his children's governess. Mm-hmm. The men always get away with it. Um. <laughs> Not when they get lit on fire in their car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he yeah, he definitely did not make it. <laughs> um, unsurprising. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I just remember I, I read the first one and I was like, what the hell am I reading? Was, well, this is not what I was yeah, expecting Yeah, it was all. both. Yes, it is surprising because, again, I just thought it was going to be a lot of Hollywood talk. I just thought she was really embedded in kind of the movie industry and i so that's was my so yes this was surprising but then you think you know <laughs> i think her project in this first section is just kind of california just culture elements aspects lifestyle stuff and of course to open with kind of a not a murder mystery but you know domestic incident murder case mystery court all that it weirdly is i mean i think it would hook a lot of people today the the true crime thing is still kind of booming i think so I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, this isn't whoever organized this collection. I don't know if it was a recent re-edit or something, but I thought this is not a bad way to start. People will be intrigued by the drama of this, I think. I found it really compelling, and, and I loved the um, the beginnings where she describes um, the valley and the street, and you're just like, oh, this is almost like a novel, the way that she's describing stuff, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, real life. It's very... It was very well done, and I like the overall idea of the um, uh, one of the major themes being the idea of the the promise of the you know like the West the California dream oh, promise yeah. yeah of everybody like has this like perfectly manicured yard um, which Lucille Miller's is not she makes a point of saying that right. Um, and like wealthy husband and wife who's super happy and is a stay-at-home mom and all this other stuff so i I found that interesting especially when um i'll just jump into it but like on page 28 at the end which is the end of the this particular essay arthwell who was lucille's lover and they have like all these tapes and stuff and, and also witnesses who knew that they were having an affair and Arthwell had told her that he wanted to marry her and that he loved her, but his wife was still around and like he couldn't divorce her. And there's some speculation that Lucille also murdered Arthwell's wife um, with poison, although they never pursue that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then Arthwell, as soon as she's like, her husband is is killed, she claims accidentally um, that the fire would just randomly happen. Cars explode. Um, it's in the movies. It's in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Movies are only truth. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Arthwell um, gets the hell out of Dodge and he's like, I don't know what she's talking about. Like, yeah, I mean, we had an affair or whatever, but it wasn't like anything serious. And I certainly didn't tell her that I was going to marry her or anything like that. And he like, he doesn't get any like scathing 
reviews from people. There's like nothing in the newspapers about like how shady a person he is or anything like that or any doubt that like, oh, could he have been involved in any way? There was never any question about that, at least not that Didion was able to, not that Didion included any of that right, stuff. Right. And then in the end, Arthwell is like, he gets to marry his young, pretty governess. Right. Like, <laughs> versus Lucille, who's like, from the get-go, she is suspected. And then she's suspected of Arthwell's wife's death, which originally was um, uh, was was just an accidental death, I think is what they... I yeah, don't there's a, it's a briefly what? mentioned. I, I forget the... I did not yeah. pull that quote. I... D- didn't even really remember it that they met but no i remember it now that you say this yeah yeah that she died of like either natural causes or by accidental overdose or something because all these people also took a lot of like sedatives and Mm -hmm. stuff right um uh, which is the the stress of the upper middle class life in that area Mm -hmm. i suppose and uh yeah, so the the contrast there I, I found really interesting, especially with the idea of she can't she uh, Didion keeps going back to the idea of uh, what she calls the promise, which is the promise of like um, that Lucille Miller would have she she had this idea in her head that she would by going west with her husband and doing all the things that were expected of her as a woman and as a wife. And as a mother, that she would live this good life. Yeah. But she's, like, betrayed by, like, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. No. Yeah. Including the other, the second guy who makes those promises to her. Right. It's... So she's been failed it's twice. It's definitely, <laughs> um, fittingly enough, given the topics, it's these dreams go up in flames. It's conflagration. It's kind of an explosive, all those words ending to their ideals. It feels like too, that Didion has this view of California in general, that she's, she certainly sees it in the shade, not in the sunlight and doesn't really, it's, she knows that some of it's glamorous or nice, but also doesn't let the, I don't know, doesn't let the artifice trick her or fool her or something (laughs) like sees it truthfully there's some opening imagery that's really strong it it does again it's an odd start because i wasn't expecting her to write about a thing like this but then the writing prevails too on page five here's a couple sentences from the opening just when she's setting setting the setting like so much of this country being in suggests something curious and unnatural the lemon groves are sunken down a three or four foot retaining wall so that one looks directly into their dense foliage too lush unsettlingly glossy the greener of nightmares. The fallen eucalyptus bark is too dusty, a place for snakes to breed. The stones look not like natural stones, but like the rubble of some unmentioned upheaval. So it's all unwell, you know? Sinful even. Well, when the snakes are around, nothing good is breeding. (laughs) And yeah, it's, you know, nightmarish and it's kind of glossy eeriness or something and so she does take a couple pages to really set that up it's it's extremely well done novelistic like you mentioned i think it'd be it would fit in that too and so it kind of works both ways she also does this at the beginning of paragraphs at times too she has the same kind of tone like on page nine it might have been anyone's bad summer anyone's siege of heat and nerves and migraine and money worries but this one began particularly early and particularly badly and she, yeah, she has a sense for repetition, kind of a sense for listing, which I think those are two 
especially nonfiction writing, those are two skills that if an author knows when to rhythmically include them, uh, will basically always work. It, it establishes rhythm so well. And she does she does writing like that. She sets things up like that so often. So, But, I yeah, I look back at the conclusion now. I think it might, yeah, it's, again, kind of a more structural, really leaves it to the reader with some of the imagery of the veil. And, like, you pointed out the contrast so well. And I, I thought of it, but it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't the dominant thing that came to mind. But, again, that's part of the subtlety of it. She doesn't, at the end, say, like, do you see how this is unjust or do you see how these two people were treated differently or, or what, you know, whatever the obvious way would be. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on some of the, the writing or just this essay? I, I, I do agree with you. I think that her ability to use setting to set the mood, like especially this ominous feeling is like too pristine, too beautiful with hidden dangers. Yeah, like a like movie set. It's so fitting, especially for the mm-hmm. theme. Yeah, definitely. And it, it carries through and almost... I, I doubt there will be an essay in this collection, though. We, the back half could be totally different in its topics. But I doubt there will be an essay in this collection that does not come off as... Ah, cynical is too harsh, but a little gloomy. It's like the clouds are just settling in. It's not fully gloomy. It's some other some other word I'm not going to be able to pull off the top of my head right now. But it's some combination of those things. Um Next essay, then, John Wayne, A Love Story. This is the only other one I chose because I knew the first one would be so long. So I just chose two for the first half, and there's not that many anyway, so it's fine. Uh, Let's talk about John Wayne, an actor I know very little about, just kind of know his face. (laughs) I don't like Westerns very much, so I don't know much about John Wayne's work, but everyone knows of his legend. Uh, Didion goes to a movie set where he is making, she says, she's shooting his 165th movie. Picture is the term she uses. Uh, Though she does open with a couple pages of her own memory of him on screen, kind of building up his legend, talking about the monumental effect that his kind of rugged manliness had on her. Not too sexual. She's never too graphic in really any description, right? She's she's pretty even-handed. Even when she indulges, it's never... I don't know. She's not a very overbearing writer, but she really gets she really gets her punches in. <laughs> like, I just read that quote of her setting the mood in the other one, and it was really exceptionally good (laughs) so i don't yeah it's it's hard to pin her down uh, her writing anyway so she's on the set she like chats with some other stars she listens in on these dinner conversations between movie stars between scenes it's kind of just idle chat it's pretty light it's she's observing them for sure she definitely comments on who's talking how and the attitudes of these people and what they look like there's there's also some other movie stars i think like dean martin or somebody's in there there's like other famous people around and she's she's observing them all um she describes their lives on set and kind of the city of durango which is where they shoot these flicks these westerns talks about that talks about some young movie stars but again i there's definitely some themes at play but there's not some dominant thread right and she i don't she's not here to construct a thesis per se and if she is it's it's subtle uh she does conclude this one with an anecdote about her and her husband having a dinner with john wayne and his family so it definitely ends with this moment triumphant moment almost of she finally gets to really sit down with her hero or if not a hero somebody she admired so should we start with the conclusion? <laughs> I definitely wanted to discuss it, the the dinner that they had at the end. I mean, why not, right? We're not beholden to any order. It's, yeah, is this how you picture a powerful person being powerful? Is <laughs> like having a fancy dinner and ordering food confidently? It's definitely like um, what I imagine 
a movie would portray it as. Yeah, it does have kind of a movie. And then, of course, the fact that they're playing, it says the Red River Valley, the theme from The High and the Mighty, so the film that she knew and the song she knew so well. Uh, and she concludes, they did not get the beat quite right, but even now I can hear them in another country in a long time later, even as I tell you this. You know, kind of a sweet little ode to to the power of this and meeting this hero that she had or meeting this kind of legend in her imagination. It's, yeah, it is. It's both a moment very emblematic of what powerful people, the effect they can have, this intoxication feeling and... He just obviously can command a table in a room or, or whatever. But also, it's not quite right. And it's, I think part of what this essay does well is it shows his decline in a kind way. It's like, ah, this, here's this tough legend of the West, this American ideal. And he's, you know, he's fighting diseases and coughing on set and is just clearly seeing the end of his career. But she's very, yeah, she's very kind to him about it, I thought. Yeah. The her portrayal of of John Wayne actually in in this essay I find interesting because it's it's like she is conflating John Wayne with the characters that he portrays, yeah, which is yeah. typically the the strong, silent, super masculine, mm-hmm. or the the idea of masculine at that time, and so like this final scene where he's ordering for the table and everything like that and. And people are just, like, kind of kowtowing to him and, and, like, playing his music and everything. Like, that's that's something that you would definitely see in a movie. It's, it's like it's still the movie version of John Wayne. Yeah. So it's like, does she... The only pieces of information that we get about him as a person is just, like, maybe we see the people who are around him and so we can maybe glean some of that information, but... There's there's not much actual dialogue with from John Wayne himself. Yeah, and she everything is just with her so laced with again, I'll find the adjective. It's not cynicism and it's not sorrow, but it's something on 31 when she transitions to kind of his movie stardom and is giving a brief history of his life. This is how she sets up his movie career. There, a meeting with John Ford, one of the several directors who were to sense that into this perfect mold might be poured the inarticulate longings of a nation, wondering at just what past the trail had been lost. Damn it, said Raoul Walsh later, that son of a bitch looked like a man. <laughs> Which, you you know, it's just such a crass kind of movie star or a movie producer kind of talk. It's very curt and blunt, and it's just it it kind of gets at bigger ideas without actually saying them. It's you know just ah, he just he was a man, damn it, he was a man. Anyway, so that was a funny quote, but also yeah, it's like she sees in him something that she thinks is lost, right? I mean, that's an articulate mold of a country lost its way like it's 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 all very gone to her or something it's all very yeah disappeared yeah the um on on in that same kind of area but on page 34 i pulled some uh the conversation between the actors who are on set with john wayne um and it's like John Wayne finally says something. It's like one of the few pieces of dialogue we actually get from John Wayne. Um, but they're like talking about um, attempted murder and how one of the the guys, one of the actors is like, you can go to jail for attempted murder? And <laughs> the other guy's like, yeah. Um, and But it, he wouldn't make it to jail because... I'd kill him. I'd kill him. Like that was... Yeah, the, yeah that was the, the thing. Um, 
And he said, Hathaway removed the cigar from his mouth and looked across the the table. Some guy just tried to kill me. He wouldn't end up in jail. How about you, Duke? Uh, Very slowly, the object of Hathaway's query wiped his mouth, pushed back his chair, and stood up. It was the real thing, the authentic article, the move which had climaxed a thousand scenes on 165 flickering frontiers and phantasmagoric battlefields before, and it was about to climax this one in the commissary at a studio Trubusco outside Mexico City. Right, John Wayne drawled. Drawled, I'd mm-hmm. kill him. And then that's it. <laughs> yeah, perfect build-up for him there. Um, she does him the dignity of it. <laughs> right. It, yeah, and it's and it's so like movie theater esque. It's, it's definitely a move from a movie. It's like I just find it fascinating that that Didion is like she just throughout this entire depiction of John Wayne, I cannot divorce in my mind John Wayne's personality that she observes from the characters that he plays on screen. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, has he, is that because that is his personality? Did he develop that personality just because of there were 165 roles that he played that were all essentially the same? And it just like became him. There's a lot of questions actually that I have about Yeah, that <laughs> I think she's, it's funny too, because she's too realistic or something to say this, but the, the setup, the quote I read from earlier would hint that she thinks it was kind of, he was kind of made for it. He, he kind of. He, it almost he just yeah. kind of apparated into America, you know, like made of dust and just needed to form into the mold the country required or something. Yeah, she's she still paints him in the mythic sense. I think it's even though she doesn't ignore his, yeah. I don't know, the end of his time. Any other thoughts on the? Yeah, yeah. it's um, I actually before reading this, um, this is. Uh, I guess a couple of weeks after the the Will Smith mm-hmm. slap um, with Chris Rock. Yeah, this and, um, deep in the I past was... compared to when this will release. Month, this is probably months ago now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, it was it's pretty fresh yes, right yes. now. Um, but the reason I mentioned that is because um, I found actually like there was a, an article that was written that was like um, this isn't like the first time that something controversial has mm-hmm. happened, and it was uh, Marlon Brando at one point um, refused to attend the ceremony and instead sent a representative from one of the Native American tribes to speak on his behalf about um, the continued, um, yeah, about how Native Americans are negatively portrayed in movies and how detrimental it is to their culture and to the society and and all that stuff. And she made a very short, moving speech about that. But apparently, John Wayne, during her speech, he had to be, like, held back by security officers because he was, like, trying to storm the stage. And he was, like, visibly upset about somebody speaking up about that because you know his his whole niche is like yeah i was gonna say Um, i think he'd spent too much fictional time in the west he really really became part of who he was (laughs) (laughs) bled into his yeah yeah, bled into his whole being yeah so like i remember watching that um because i watched the speech and it was i thought it was beautifully done and it was very respectfully done as well it wasn't like she was sitting there screaming at people or anything like that she's just like this this is what it Mm -hmm. is 
this is why Marlon Brando had me speak for him, and this is how you can reach out right, to us. Right, right. And, um, but, yeah, so while I was reading this essay, I was thinking of that video, and I was just like, how do I... <laughs> how does that fit in with my understanding of who John Wayne is? <laughs> like, well, just, yeah, so yeah. I mean, there's a fragility <laughs> to it, you know. It's, um, but as he mentioned, he would at yeah. least try to fight. He does have a solution for these things. <laughs> He's got it. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, he wanted to run up and yeah, fight take her. the mic. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something absurd. It's yeah. It's all fra- It's all very yeah. fragile. That's it's the artifice of it. Um, let's jump to. I'm looking at the timing. Pick pick the one you'd rather do first, and then we'll see where our timing's at. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Uh, I, okay, I'm going to skip to the marrying mm-hmm. absurd. Um, it was That was like a super short piece. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. So this piece focuses on the business of marriage in Las Vegas and how... Marriage there provides interesting insights into the culture of Las Vegas, as well as the mindsets of those choosing Vegas as their wedding venues. Didion includes some stories of people's experiences with the wedding industry, including Justice of the Peace, Mr. Brennan, who married 67 couples in one day and observed, ironically, that he could have married them in mass, but their people not care. Yeah. People expect more when it's they romantic, get married. It's romantic, damn it. Which is hilarious. That's true yeah. love. <laughs> but he got, his, he got his ceremonies down to three minutes each. Very romantic, mm-hmm. very loving. Tender. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what everybody A tender three of. is um, what they believe what they call it. Very tender, tender three. Th- yes, I like that. A tender three minutes. Um, so I, I found this interesting because people are still getting married yeah. in Vegas. Right, I mean that's a whole like cliche. It was part of the Hangover movie. Like the it was like a critical plot point. So it's definitely (laughs) not left the culture. I don't I don't know if it's as popular, but it's as culturally known. You know. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. Um, Yeah, and uh, anyway, so I I I found this interesting because I think it's still um, like an interesting thing like a cultural thing for today Mm -hmm. and it's just for me historically i was just like curious about why that even started up it's Um, well i think too (laughs) it started up because of like the draft oh yeah i mean i'm sure as with many of these phenomena there's like probably real world conditions that help generate this but it does fit into me with i mean we associate vegas with hard partying it's people go there to party gamble and obviously very few of those activities or things are sober it's just like a hard partying place or it's it's got earned its infamy that way and i in my brain it just makes sense because you know the partying vibe the you've imbibed a lot or you're high or you're you know whatever you're doing you're in an altered state and she hits on this really well early the sense of timelessness vegas just seems like a place where time suspends and you behave out of time out of place <laughs> there's yep. a quote i guess i'll i'll yep. throw one out there first but um yeah 
Yeah, she mentions on 80 and 81, uh, a couple quotes here. Las Vegas is the most extreme and allegorical of American settlements, bizarre and beautiful in its venality and its devotion to immediate gratification, kind of party thing there, a place the tone of which is set by mobsters and call girls and ladies room attendants with ammo, nitrate poppers in their uniform pockets, a drug I don't know. Almost everyone notes that there is no time in Las Vegas, no night and no day and no past and no future. And then a long quote about the casinos, neither is there any logical sense of where one is. One is standing on a highway in the middle of a vast hostile desert looking at an 80-foot sign which blanks Stardust or Caesar's Palace. Yes, but what does that explain? <laughs> and Which I, I'll end on the rhetorical question, because uh, it is a very funny way of phrasing it, and she does pick out, you know, it's a, it's a great just very honest uh, kind of conversational way of approaching it, because it's yeah, none of this makes any sense, but we do accept it, is kind of a takeaway from Vegas. She she establishes this quite well. It's Did you find this was one of the more opinionated pieces she had in here? I mean, directly so. I mean, we've established, I think, well, that she's always opinionated. She structures things clearly. She's very clever, and the, the sort of flow, the conclusions we've touched on, like all that stuff matters, I think, in her writing. But this one felt really opinionated yeah. compared to the others. Yeah. Yeah, I think she was a lot more pointed in this mm-hmm. essay, which is one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I chose it. Um, and also, it just fits so well with um, the first story, which was the the sweet California, whatever. Yeah, the, the right. Which is <clears throat> the the obsession with the veneer of stuff rather than the truth, the realities, how the realities are glossed over and like ignored. And then it comes back to kind of like, you know, bite us sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out west. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that she was a lot more pointed in, in making that point in this particular essay. Um, if you look at page 82, she says, but Las Vegas seems to offer something other than convenience. It is merchandising niceness. The facsimile of proper ritual to children who do not know how else to find it, how to make the arrangements, how to do it, quote, right. So it's it's the idea of like, you're offering this thing to, to people who are naive, like Lucille Miller in that first um, essay that I discussed. And you're offering them something shiny and bright and new. Like, this is what it is you you do want. This is what you want it to be. This is what um, adults expect you to want. And then when you have it, you're like, "Uh." (laughs) (laughs) okay. Like, the so there's the example on page 82 of the teenage girl, the teenage bride, teenager Mm -hmm. bride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's crying at the end. The ending is pretty, Um, it's another good example too, of how she, it seems really biting to me, but it's, it's not, there's, she really does lay off just enough to make it. So you have to, I think it's really biting, but I think you got to think, think into it, I guess. I don't know. How do you read it? I, so I thought it was um, just the the irony, yeah. Like it's just so so mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, this bride, this teenage bride, who's getting married because she's pregnant, right? And her dad is still making the ho oh, ho ho. Better gear up for tonight because obviously it's your first night. Your daughter is pregnant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> dad talk. And then dad she's banter. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's like crying because she says 
It was just as nice, she sobbed, as I hoped and dreamed it would be. That's your hope and dream? That particular ceremony in Las Vegas with you actively mm-hmm. pregnant. I mean, I don't want to judge anybody. Maybe that is her dream. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, like, that the, the nicety there, the, the facsimile of nicety, of proper yeah, ritual. Yeah, right. That was just, like, I mean, that was such a great... Well example of how how that's just another veneer that's just we, we hit on this thing. in the first essay but this is a ex- like exemplary example of this but it's how she lets the person speak for themselves and we just know how critical and how biting she's being by especially to conclude with that quote is just so brutal because yeah. we know she would her reaction would be like you got a dream better than like let's reinvent your dreams let me help you <laughs> let me help you imagine something different or better or perhaps not as artificial right. or like she's could be commenting on kind of the shallowness of this and how this it really is the sad allegory of the the worst the worst of the country or something but it's but she doesn't say that because she doesn't need to it's she kind of have already set up that that tone and that perspective and then she just lets the person speak for themselves again she's very content to do that she it is very well you know i was gonna say very well done which is a really generic way but the subtlety of it is just so admirable because she really gives you just enough to you know point you in directions but really is not overbearing and then in the end she does kind of step away at times and kind of points to something and be like, well, see here, I'm just going to let them speak. (laughs) Like, this is what they said. This is the truth of it. So it's, yeah, another just tremendous example of that. Any other thoughts on the Vegas weddings? Yeah. Um, no, just that, that was pretty much it. I just, I, I will say, that she, you know, when you, in the quote that you pointed out was, um, that the, the gambling and stuff like that, that the rest of the Vegas, aside from the marriage aspect mm-hmm. is like run by, by mobsters and call girls and stuff like that. It's, it's so funny because even the Vegas today, it's like, it might have an allure to it, the same kind mm-hmm. of allure that it had back then, but it's still like the underbelly is still just as as terrible like you go one street over from the strip and you're just like i mean the poverty and the the complete contrast Mm -hmm. to what is presented to visitors versus the reality of actually yeah right right um it has not changed yeah the mobsters part i would I, i can't speak on that obviously but i do wonder that's i have to feel like the the kind of organized crime apparatus, apparata, apparati, whatever the plural of that word is. I feel like those have come yeah. down a bit. I don't think there's any dominant shadow economy run by the mob in this country, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, not, not that that part of it, I think. <laughs> but you're right, though, that it's it's just like any other city. And it, it really feels like a extreme facade an allegory, as she puts it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Okay, no other thoughts on Vegas. Let's nope, save our thoughts on the Joan Baez one, because I feel like that's about to come back up anyway. So we'll pause. We'll circle back to yeah, that. Let's sure. end with a couple of our usual segments. We like to end our part one book clubs with a couple repeated 
things, activities, etc. Let's do the list first. This is where Joan Baez, I think, I get the, the feeling she's going to come up. We like to make lists on these episodes just to have some fun and kind of do a little back and forth debate. We are going to list top threes. So this is, I created this week's list, so let's jump in. We're going to do the top three people she meets with who you, I guess us, we would like to have dinner with. That is the topic. Did that make sense? A really drawn yep, out title. Did. So <laughs> going to put it in the Instagram <laughs> headline or something. Anyway, let's go. We'll go three to one. I'll start. I picked Jerry first and Deadeye too, if he has to come, because, you know, there are a couple that are about to be wed. I liked Jerry's insertion into the, the San Francisco essay just because she felt like a bit more reasonable voice. I think she was a little older. I mean, she meets with a lot of teenagers in that story, obviously, the kind of youth who are fueling the movement. And she's there. There's even one person who keeps commenting on how old she is. She's like in her early 30s, and there's a person who goes out of his way multiple times to say like, "It's okay, you're you know, we'll take the geriatrics too," which is just so wild and hilarious. <laughs> but no, I think Jerry. She seemed like a genuine, kind soul. She did, didn't seem as extreme as some of the other people. She seemed more quietly content, and you know, she's an amateur poet, which I think for a dinner. I think she'd make, you know, a poet makes for a great dinner guest. I don't think we would become best friends, maybe. I, I don't need to be reading my friend's poetry on, like, a weekly basis, I, I don't think. <laughs> but for a dinner guest, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be into that, I think. See what interested her. Yeah, see sense. what caught her muse or see what her muse was lately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, well. <laughs> <laughs> the great beyond. The psychic, the psychic realm. <laughs> Man, what if she wrote her poetry while on acid? Like, I don't know if your motor only. skills are quite there when doing acid. I don't. Mm. I mean, I know some people do drawings and visual stuff, but man, I don't know. Maybe typing would work. But imagine trying to like write letters by hand. I don't know. Yeah, not not great. What's your number three? Who's your number three? Yeah. Um, Webb mm. Overlander, who is John Wayne's yes. makeup man, who was mentioned on page yes. thirty-six. Um. And the reason for that is, like, I'm still, like, trying to, like, figure out John Wayne as a person, I guess, mm-hmm. after reading that. Um, but his makeup person seems like he's got lots of memories and gossip about the movie ventures. He's he's the one who was like, oh, don't tell us about that one. You remember we had to deal with that on this movie set and this movie set. Like, he's been around John Wayne for years, so he's going to have, like, I think the best. And he's definitely a gossip because he's sharing right, stories, right. like willy-nilly um but you probably i probably would be able to get more truths out of him about that's john true wayne than getting any like self-observations from john wayne himself so i think that he would give a better portrait of who john wayne is as a person so i would i would love to chat with him and oh so true it's a great pick too i'll just transition from there and explain because my number two was john wayne i think yours is a better pick though because i i was thinking john wayne because i i kind of liked his his role at the dinner which was not to be the dominant conversationalist but that he just is kind of there to keep things going you know he orders his drinks he kind of gets the table something he's there to fulfill his rich guy i'm here to take care of things role and i think he would he it seemed like in the other parts of that essay he was just conversational enough to that he wouldn't be a drag he wouldn't be a downer at the dinner he wouldn't hold things he wouldn't be a silent brooding guy like he would chat but also he wouldn't be he wouldn't be leading things you know he's not the not the head of the table but i do love the kind of quiet conversation 
competence or a kind of quiet command of somebody who's just like, no, we'll get we'll get those five appetizers. Why don't you go ahead and get some champagne? Like he just he's just kind of silently commanding yeah. things, you know. And and also, let's not ignore that he would yeah. pay. So <laughs> if he was with me, he'd be paying. <laughs> yeah, respect that at dinner. But your pick might be better, honestly. More of a gossip, more fun, more like willing to share, more insightful, probably. <laughs> Um, my number two was Barbara, the hippie homemaker from the last essay, the Slashing Towards Bethlehem essay, um, just because she's, you know, she's a progressive in the midst of like a big movement and in, in, in the midst of the hippie movement. But as far as like the feminist movement, she's actually kind of like moving backwards in a lot of ways. So as Didion po- herself pointed out, so I would just love to sit down and just like kind of like hear her thoughts on on the feminist movement versus her ideas of like what feminism is I suppose and uh, especially during that time I think that that would be a really interesting conversation to have with Mm -hmm. her yeah definitely I think her and yeah put her and Jerry or Gary at the same table and That'd be a hit. I'd be quite intrigued. No, no drugs yeah. though. Maybe, maybe we could just get burgers in the park, like she does so many times. I feel like, or he kind of eats yeah. lunch with them in the park. <laughs> or maybe she would do dinner because she she makes everything. She makes her own bread. Oh, and true, right? And she has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be wonderful. I'm I'm into this. That would be a fun dinner. I would I would attend for sure. Do you want to take since we cut the essay out in a sense? Do you want to start with your number one because we shared one, the same number one, maybe unsurprisingly for this list. And yeah, I know you yeah. had the essay in mind. So do you want to start us off here? Take take us out of the list. Yeah. So our both of our number ones is uh, Joan. What by. I How didn't did look it up. I think it's Baez, but sure. it could be Bayes. I think it's Baez, yeah. though. B-A-Z. Yeah. It shows that neither one of us listens to her I had never music. heard of her, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> until the, but I looked her up quick. I Googled I it either. quickly. Uh, yeah, I did, too. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So she was, like, the same kind of musician as Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know Bob Dylan, but that's not my type of music. Right, so right. I, not 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 overly a fan of of that so mm-hmm. sorry so it's either joan bays or jo- joan Baez. um so do you want me to like quickly talk about why uh, you did like to have a dinner with her i mean you can you feel free to reference the essay okay. obviously if you want to do some quotes go for it but i figured we'd sure. get around to it here yeah sounds good um she seems like a really interesting person with a lot of life experiences. She's, I mean, like like we just mentioned, she's a musician who um, did, uh, who toured and also performed with Bob Dylan and other um, artists and musicians uh, during that time um, to support progressive movements and to um, sing about pro- progressive ideals. Um, and she's also created her own she bought the school to of, of like pacifism of nonviolence i believe it's what it's called the school of nonviolence uh to teach about nonviolence to have one of her friends and mentors i suppose he's kind of a mentor to her in a way mm-hmm. um teach others about the the importance of not just nonviolence, but also understanding where nonviolence comes from and how nonviolence is like different from just like pacifism and, and, and other 
movements that were going on at the same right. time. And she just seems like somebody who, even though Didion describes her as somebody who, uh, it's like her her personality is very nebulous and her ideals are even less formed um, because she's almost like this non-entity in a lot of ways. She's just like a vessel of like information that comes in without her actually trying to sort through the thoughts herself. Mm-hmm. She does have a wealth of information and experiences, so I would still find her very interesting just as a as a person to talk to and and on multiple levels yeah and in the essay which i'll i won't quote from but briefly describe she the school she sets up seems just genuinely interested in the act of learning and i think at a dinner i picked her as number one well first of all she's got great anecdotes what a life was a part of major social moments and was present at like significant world events (laughs) so i mean there's obviously that it's like okay cool you'd like to have dinner with that person but I just think in terms of a conversationalist, it seems like she's got the best quality of a learner, the Socrates quality of like, she'll throw the hands up and admit when she doesn't know something. I think that was a Socrates kind of principle. Maybe it was one of the other Greeks. But yeah, so it just sort of seems like in terms of conversation, she would be a really rich, not only has she read widely because her curiosity led her to open the school and she was a participant in it. She didn't seem to hide from learning reading you know exploring all those things so it'd be like she'd show up with a couple book recs to it and again at like a dinner at least yeah it gives you some real substantial things to to talk through (laughs) and it seems like she'd be a willing conversationalist like she just seemed like a really sincere soul at some point she said some quote in there about like i'm not political like i'm just trying to figure this out and i I don't you know i'm just on this journey to like try and piece things together and and make sense of things and i'm not trying to be an authority like her school was not built for for that (laughs) to be some kind of intellectual authority so all around just seemed like i mean you know that that may be a person like that can maybe be frustrating too because if they're not going to take a stand on anything then it's like okay what's the point but i just don't think that was her she seemed to have her principles but also seemed like an open soul so yeah yeah and and just um somebody that you could really bounce ideas around with like who doesn't want to have a conversation like that that's where it doesn't have to get into art like arguments or anything like that, because I don't think that she would be argumentative. Mm-hmm. She would just be open to having a conversation about whatever. And that's yeah, Didion made the the counsel. She was in a kind of polit- not political, rather a legal case against, in a sense, made them seem extremely kind of unreasonable and <laughs> like not having very rational things to say about her school. So yeah, she came across well. Yeah. yeah, we agree. Let's have that dinner. She's still alive, 81 years old. So could still happen, Amanda. Let's, let's cross our fingers. Nice. <laughs> we're we're going to be the ones. Yeah. Um, let's conclude with our final segment. We always do this in part one book clubs. We're going to do, please continue, make it stop. We'll each briefly pick one thing to praise and one thing to critique about the book or the work so far. I'll go first with my make it stop because it's pretty brief. Um, And I pulled a quote for this that I won't read just because we're running out in time. But there are moments when Didion does hinted a bit of a thesis like she almost wants to lay an argument out in an academic way and she did this on 71 i forget the essay but i i enjoy when she's done that the the vegas 
essay, we talked a bit about that too, that she dares upon those moments of just kind of like, here, I do have a main idea. Let me tell you it. I don't think she needs to write that way. I don't, I think the writing has been excellent so far, so I don't need that, but my, I'm having it, my make it stop because I just wish that if she really wanted to do that, I just wish she would do it then. <laughs> Cause it seems like there have been times when yeah. it's like, no, you have something to argue in a sense. And again, you, I don't want to thrust my like academic background into her and uh, onto her writing and be like, no, please just do, just say your main idea in paragraph one. It doesn't have to be like that, but it's, there have been moments when I think like, oh, you really do want to throw some heavy opinions out and you're just not. Um, I just would, I just want one or two essays like that. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Cause I think we've praised it so much rightfully so, but I would prefer one or two that are just like really in my face with what she wants to say. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that yeah. way, but yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, mine. So I don't, I don't mind like the, being somewhat academic versus more nebulous. The the thing mm-hmm. that I pointed out too was um, as far as like being nebulous is, is her transitions for me. That was my make it stop. It doesn't actually, her lack of transitions between going from like one conversation to another conversation. Like I, it, this, especially like in the final essay, the uh, slouching towards Bethlehem essay, where it's just like going from, one scene to another to another to another and not making any connections between them it doesn't really bother me in the long run because i think that the conclusions do the heavy work of trying to tie all of Mm -hmm. that together um in a more subtle way but while you're reading it it can be very jarring at times which is just i think a part of her actual writing style because i i noticed that also in the other essays um that we've read so far and and it can be very jarring and it can throw you for a loop and and it did pull me out a couple of times where I was just like what wait okay so what's happening now um but the conclusions I think for me really save save that so that it's not really bothersome to me yeah I feel like you and I've hit transitions for a ton of authors I don't know why we fixate on this so much (laughs) I feel like you we do I feel like we've done that with almost every (laughs) nonfiction we've hit on I'm not sure what we're maybe this is like we just want really academic kind of clarity or I don't know no I agree maybe that essay almost has a drug-like yeah, th- I think that essay is just so egregious with that, and it has to be purposeful. That it's, it's very hallucinogenic, very loose. You kind of just float between narratives. Some come back, some don't. So I on that essay, I definitely gave it a huge pass because I was like, oh, this is just a really kind of loose sketch of a community. Um, I kind of liked it, honestly, because you never knew where you were going to go. <laughs> but it's definitely, yeah, I think it hits on what I was kind of getting at. I, though our our critiques are almost complimentary in a way, because it's, if she were writing that essay is kind of like, no, I have a big idea about what this hippie movement was really like, then she would not have written it that way at all. <laughs> like, not even, yeah, not even remotely. So, no, it's good. I think, yeah, of a, of a type, our critiques. My Please Continue is, I, this, I think she's, yeah, re introduced me to why I like writing, which is good because I know we've hit books recently that have been more mixed or something. I mean, we always I always enjoy talking about them, so it's not... But I, I definitely have not found myself loving writing in a few books, and this is, I think, getting there. Um, this is how I think of it, and she her writing has given me some clarity into this. This is, I think, how I want all writing to be. 
on a sentence to sentence level, her writing is very dense, but it's also pretty clear. So it's she's she'll indulge and she likes setting moods. She likes doing that work of kind of the literary work of creating interesting things. But it's it, again, it has a clarity to it. So it's you're not going to leave a sentence feeling bamboozled or confused. The structure or themes, though, are to me much less clear so far and much less explained. She can be abrupt with her conclusion and is going to leave it up to you. I think that's the combination for me. Like, I want the structure to leave open room for interpretation and not to be too handheld and explained. But I don't want the sentences to be like, I don't want the sentences to baffle me. You know, it's like I want the I want the whole thing to make me feel like I need to ruminate, but I don't want the sentences to make me feel that way. And so she, I think, has just struck the balance I really love and her. I'm just flowing extremely well with the writing so i pray you know please continue i guess basically all of it (laughs) yeah it was um i love her writing as well so (laughs) i think that her style in particular for me it was her reporting style the because this is all her reporting on certain movements and people and events um so I, I just think that she does it really well in that she incorporates other viewpoints and mostly not from the actual subject of her piece. So like we don't get a whole lot from John Wayne. We don't get a whole lot from Lucille Miller herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other pieces are, are more culturally bound yeah, rather than uh, people bound, but it's, it's nice to get, because when if you're interviewed of course you're going to like you know try to make yourself out to be better than you actually are but by by incorporating other observations other people's observations the setting and stuff like that and pieces of dialogue from other people married to the descriptions of the behaviors of the the people involved and the setting it's just I I love that. And I love also that her personal opinions and her personal insights are just so subtly done. Um, But they are there when you really want to like pay attention. If you really pay attention, you can see how she feels about each of these uh, pieces, um, the the studies that she's doing here. And I just, I, I love that. I love that her reporting style tries to be as honest as possible, but she still has a piece of her own opinion yeah. in there. Really it has a kind that. of integrity to it. You can, like you said, you can tell that she's not doing PR and would refuse to do so. She's never going to be tricked into that, into that style or that mode. And it's, I feel like today celebrity stuff is very Q and a heavy, which, you know, gives them room to show their personalities, but also is not, there's like no authorial nothing to it. <laughs> it's just kind of like another celebrity interaction we get to have, I guess. But so this is yeah, quite different. It's it's so much. You're really there for her um, to see what she how she will portray and construct something around a topic rather than yeah. I, I like wouldn't give this to someone if they cared about John Wayne. I would give it to someone if they wanted to hear interesting critiques of the '60s <laughs> or so. You know, so yeah, that's really right, yeah, very exactly. well said. Any final thoughts on the first half of Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan Didion? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, very strong comeback for us. Uh, again, eh, all the books I'd recommend. We've covered yeah. interesting stuff, but I do think in terms of style of writing, I don't know, I guess I'd say quality, even though that's such a debatable word. <laughs> it's been, yeah, really, really great. So I'm also enjoying it. On our next episode of The Book Club, so Book Club Part 2, we'll be discussing the whole thing at that point. Like I said, there it's three parts. So parts two and three will be the ones we'll be analyzing in detail, but at that point we'll be spoiling the whole thing. Uh, look for that episode next Friday for me you're hearing this or if you're not listening to this on release day is you know what I mean honestly why would you we, we were building an archive here it's not meant to be <laughs> you don't have to listen day of anyway just look in the feed because yep. all the book clubs will be there parts one and two so check out part two when it posts hopefully sooner than later we thank you as always for listening we've been the lightly literary podcast find our social media accounts under that name all one word we're up on Facebook and Instagram so check us out there and we always appreciate a like subscribe follow whatever platform you're on right if you can rate and review us that is greatly appreciated and helps a ton um amanda did i cut you off any final thoughts on this one nope i'm all good okay excellent okay well yeah check in for part new next week dear listeners and as always we'll see you between the pages 